Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Bob Varsha, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Good evening or good morning, gearheads. Welcome to the Speed City F1 on Sirius XM pre-qualifying show for the Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix. This is John Massingale, and I am on site in Las Vegas. We got the entire Speed City team here in Vegas with Jonathan Green, Bob Varsha, and Chris Medland. And we are so excited. This is the third Formula One race in the United States this year. Who would have imagined it? And I think I am safe in saying that this is the most anticipated Formula One event of the year. And Jonathan and Bob are part of the show today doing PA and big screens. And Chris Medland is, as usual, has his microphone out there. And Chris, how are you, buddy? I'm good, buddy. How are you doing? It's been um, a weird weekend so far, hasn't it? And certainly not one if you want to get any sleep. Uh, Chris, that is so true. That has been the theme of the weekend so far. It's funny, when I got to the circuit this morning, I say this morning, this evening, I texted Chris and I said, good morning, <laughs> sir, <laughs> because this is so upside down, and I can only imagine for you who travels all over the world. Yeah, it was quite bizarre. I mean, I'm sure we'll get stuck into it during the next hour or so uh, about what happened yesterday and the troubles that were hit here. Uh, but, but the fact that I left the track at six, just after 6 a.m. this morning, and it was sunrise, uh, so by the time I got the, started doing some work, uh, before I'd even had breakfast, it had gone dark again. So uh, I don't really know what time of day it's meant to be or what I'm meant to be doing, but uh, <laughs> hopefully I'll try and keep everything understandable. Uh, but if I start talking gibberish on the show, I'm really sorry, everyone. I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> Well, Chris, that has been the entire theme. We have lots of interviews from the drivers and all the drivers. These were all these interviews that were done at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever they were last night. So they're all kind of uh, punch drunk, if you will. So you'll hear a lot of that. But I want to play a quick segment that I just recorded with Jonathan Green and Bob Varsha. As I said, they're the commentators, the official commentators here this weekend. And they have a good take on this. So let's hear from Jonathan and Bob right now. All right, Jonathan Green, I'm going to start with you. What do you think, my friend? Amazing here in Vegas, right? Yeah, all systems resumed, you know, uh, or normal now, because this is now that we're in the middle of a race weekend, and now yeah. it feels right. Yeah, that 90-minute practice three session was exactly what the doctor ordered, wasn't it, Bob? Oh, absolutely. You know, they, when you come to a brand-new racetrack, you have no idea how the car's going to perform, how much sliding around you're going to do, just all the elements that you take for granted when you're going to a track that you know when you've got a notebook full of setup notes. Dave O'Neill could tell you all about that. You come here, you know nothing about this racetrack except what your simulations have been able to tell you. You need time on that track so desperately. I mean, they didn't get it after that eight-minute session in free practice one. Um, yeah, getting 90 minutes even at 2.30 in the morning um, is uh, manna from heaven. Yeah, and Jonathan, the the way that went down, it was, you know, it was unfortunate and it wasn't ideal. But again, now that we're seeing these cars on track up to speed, we're seeing them come by our booth window at 200 miles an hour. 
all seems good now. Yeah, and after 30 years of Macau, which is a very similar circuit, uh, I've come to expect these sorts of hiccups. And frankly, I thought they actually responded very well um, to make a decision as big as it was. Uh, in fact, two big decisions uh, to also have the crowd go home. Uh, because again, a sensible decision, but, but first of all, free practice. Um, they had to uh, do that. There were 30, almost 40 of these water valve cases very heavy, um, and if any one of them came off again and caused something similar, it would be a big problem. I don't like the fact that it wasn't force majeure, though, because I don't see why Ferrari would be penalized 10 places, uh, given that it wasn't their fault. I just, you know, I don't understand that. That needs to be looked at again. Uh, let me disagree a little bit with you there, John. Um, I don't think, I wish they had not sent the people home. Uh, the reason that they gave for it in a 600-word statement that Chris Medlin picked up on immediately and pointed out that the word sorry does not you know, appear once, um, they said it was because personnel were at the end of their shifts. They were afraid, you know, somebody, uh, you know, these vague reasons, somebody might get hurt. Why? Because, you know, the usher standing at the top of the grandstand is uh, going to fall asleep and fall down the stairs. I don't, I don't know what it was, but it created a tremendous amount of bad will uh, in the local and, and even the international press. So I wish they hadn't done that. And I totally agree with Jonathan about the fact that penalizing Ferrari and Carlos Sainz specifically with a 10 grid place penalty to me is just insane. I mean, as he says, if this is an example of force majeure, I don't know what is. Totally out of the control of the driver and team. Devastating damage to the car. So, you know, drop him 10 points back down the grid. While Ferrari's in a fight for a position in the Constructors' Championship, Science is up there in the top five or six in the Drivers' Championship. You know, if it's a team down at the back that, that really is not contending for much of anything, uh, with all due respect to everybody, uh, you know, maybe the decision would come out different. But, no, it's, it's just really unfair. I hope Frederick Vasseur sends a bill of $8 million to uh, <laughs> for his new car. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm being flippant. But, you know, hey, you know, there's always uh, – we've noticed with the FIA, we've talked about this all season. They got they – got, it's a tough job. And this is still uh, an amazing situation to be doing what we're doing you know, nothing ever in the first year goes right. We know that from Coda. So, yeah, okay, let's move on. And moving on, I think it's, you know, it's the end of the season when the top three, in, I know it's only free practice, but the top three are, as Bob said in the commentary, the lesser of the teammates, i.e. George Russell, Oscar Piastri, and Logan Sargent. They don't get a lot of notoriety compared to their teammates, and they're the top three. How about the speed of the Williams? We knew it was going to be fast here. But it's also magnified because we're looking out the window. What are we, 20 feet from the track here watching these cars go by at 200? But how about the speed of the Williams car? I know. I'm, I'm glad I put my pound down on Alban after all. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could go outside the booth because it really is fast. I mean, they, I, it's blinding. You cannot almost tell which car's going past you. That's exa I was thinking the same thing. I can't even, I'm watching them, and I have to kind of move my head like, a, like you're you know, a photographer trying to snap a photo. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, it's funny. I'm thinking of all the falderall that went down when these turbocharged cars became, you know, the source of power, the hybrid Formula One cars. Everybody said, oh, they're not screamers like the, the V8s and the V10s were. And that's true. But you can stand virtually at trackside and watch these cars go by at full chat, as you say. And, uh, and you, you don't even need ear protection. It's, it's great fun to watch. 
Well, we got to talk about the atmosphere. I mean, we're, we're talking about the track that's 20 feet out our front window, but out our back window, the backdrop that is Las Vegas is exactly what you see in every movie, every television show. That's what we're looking at at the back of our booth. It's just this the whole atmosphere. We're surrounded by the icons that we've all seen for years. Yeah, it is. Uh, now we're here and we're sconced in the middle of it. It, it is surreal. It's as simple as that. Uh, Vegas is always a wild place to be. Uh, there's so much, uh, you know, uh, overload in sensory. Uh, to have Formula One added to it is kind of almost too much, but it's great. And, and uh, I, I got to talk about the track, too, because we watched in Free Practice 3, the cars got quicker and quicker, and the rubber was laid down, and the teams got comfortable, the drivers got comfortable. The cars are getting faster and faster, aren't they? No question. I mean, there are still some tight corners where drivers are using too much of the curbs, but yes, the cars are getting faster, and as you say, I think it's a reflection of driver confidence as much as anything else. Yeah, and as we look ahead to qualifying now, I, there's a few things I want to point out, which is uh, I'm really impressed with Haas, um, 12th, uh, 10th and 12th at the moment. I'm also interested in what Aston Martin can do. The form from Brazil has, has continued. Both uh, Alonso and Stroll, to a certain extent, are up there uh, and challenging the old guard, as it were. And just going back to Haas for a second, four points off Alfa Romeo. And that's a lot of money if they can pick up four points going into Abu Dhabi uh, with one race to go. So, you know, yes, the world championship's over, but this interests me what Haas can maybe pull off. And this is their opportunity right now yeah. because this track suits the car. You know, we talked about all season long how they have not been able to get the track, the, uh, the race pace right. But maybe the cooler conditions, maybe the long straights, the fast track. Maybe all that can come together for Haas. Yeah, I mean, it, it has been a problem. The, 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 the main problem for Haas is basically the heat in the tyres. They can get it for one lap and qualify well. We've seen them get through to Q3 a few times, and we may see them do that tonight. But as you say, with a late night, with the cooler conditions, it may just suit them to maintain that. And they've gone different directions to the two Haas drivers uh, for their own liking. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, we're all fingers crossed, the American team. Yeah, the, um, I have a feeling in qualifying we're going to see the cream float to the top, as it always does. And, uh, and, and we've seen teams like Haas and Williams do well in final practice before. It's not necessarily an indication, in my opinion, of what they're going to do in qualifying. It's great to see them up there, uh, and maybe they will stay up there. But, uh, you know, I think the, the names at the top of the charts after qualifying are going to look pretty darn familiar. We got to talk about Logan Sargent. I know it's just free practice mm -hmm. three, but he's sitting P three. I know this tra the session was ended early because the uh, the, the the Albon's tire just literally came off. He can thank his teammates. Yeah, yeah, he can thank his teammates. <laughs> yeah, Alex. Uh, but Jonathan, I mean, it's exciting to have Logan here, right? Yeah, and it's it's massive for him. These next two weeks are really make and break of his career. Now, he'll go on to be a great racing driver if he doesn't stay in Formula One. But in terms of staying with Williams next year, um, these two races are massive and a great start in free practice for him. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it really is very impressive indeed to see him third fastest in free practice. Wow. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for him. I mean, I've, and, and by the way, I said in commentary, he's up against three factors. He's up against an Alban who's at the top of his game. He's up against a brand new track and he's up against a team that is still searching for competitiveness in a massively competitive field and his own inexperience. That's four, in fact. 
Yeah, it's, um, you know, we talk all the time about this. It's a brand new track. It's the same for everybody. And I just finished saying that the cream is going to rise to the top in qualifying. But another thing about a virgin track, if you will, like this one, is that she gives up her secrets indiscriminately. In other words, a guy who doesn't have seven world championships can find something in the racetrack that works for him that maybe the seven-time world champion hasn't discovered yet. So it may be that at the end of the day, and that would be tomorrow night at midnight, um, we're going to see uh, some real surprises. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, Bob, you covered all your bases there. So, yeah. so well, guys, I know you all got to go do the PA, and I know you're on the big screen. You all are the big stars here. And you got Connor Daly with you, too. Yeah, great insight. Uh, his father, of course, raced in the last Grand Prix held in Vegas. But, yeah, the Dalys are, you know, they're great. Uh, and, and, and Connor, it's great to have him because his insight, his also knowledge and friendship with all the drivers currently is really, really insightful. All right, well, you guys go have a great show, and uh, if you can pop back in the booth anytime, just do it. Will do, if we can. Hey, hey, Chris Medlin, I know you are, uh, you're out in the paddock area. Uh, we got to describe this paddock for the listeners because it is a, it is a huge paddock, first of all, but the, the new building, this huge building, this four stories. So give us your eyes and ears right now. Yeah, I'm very near that uh, that huge paddock building. Actually, I'm kind of like almost hiding underneath it, which I had to do on the first day here. So, well, Wednesday because media day was a day earlier, uh, and it rained uh, massively. Surprisingly, <laughs> anyone who listened to our wheel to wheel show would have heard that we had to relocate because it was raining, and it and it kept raining all, all evening. So, it kept hiding under the kind of overhangs uh, of these like walkways that are uh, on each level. So, you've kind of got the building itself, and then the walkways are on the outside of it, uh, so you can see people moving up and down. Uh, and the very top is kind of like open air uh, hospitality units. But the majority of that building is hospitality. To be honest, it's cost them a lot of money and they're trying to make back as much money as they can. But it's very impressive. It has a huge F1 logo on the top of it uh, that you'll see if you watch on TV uh, or see pictures afterwards of uh, the skyline. That they're quite often zooming out from this amazing um, lit up sign that's on the, on the roof of this building. Uh, and that kind of, because the final corner is a very fast, actually, left-hander uh, onto the pit straight. Uh, the end of the pit building near the pit entry curves round uh, sort of with the track. So it's at an angle at, at one end. Uh, and then opposite that, it's just kind of a, a large single story uh, hospitality unit. So there's one long strip. Uh, so instead of everyone having their own individual building, it's just one uh, very long one building that's split up for each team. Uh, and they've got neon lights to signify each team's logo. So it's, it's quite a cool touch. They've tried to keep the lighting low in here because obviously people think of vegas and neon lights and stuff like that you might think the paddock would be really bright but instead they've gone dark because they want the skyline to be the focus uh now standing in the paddock because of the hospitality units you can't actually see much of the skyline uh but i've been up on the uh, on the top of the pit building to do a little bit of filming with espn earlier this week uh, and that gives you the full view and it's incredible so uh yeah it, it's it's a special setup the fact that we're just off the strip with uh you know a, a full formula one paddock permanently situated here uh, is remarkable and funny enough while i was wandering around it i have um crossed paths with the two men that we were just hearing from there uh johnny <laughs> and bob were uh, doing the the trackside tv stuff and i was dodging their cameras so uh, it was like inception i could hear them in my ears and i could see them uh, just just starting their other work <laughs> it is like inception all right well chris uh 
hang tight. And coming up right after this, we are going to talk about the uh, the incident that happened last night where they had the uh, the manhole covers. Actually, it was valve covers. We'll talk about that. And we'll also hear from Carlos Sainz and some of the other drivers right after these messages. Right we are. I can indeed, yep. Chris. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, it's quite upsetting. And, uh, I'm sure, as you said, we'll get stuck into kind of the things that went wrong yesterday uh, in a little bit, but the things that they've done right uh, in terms of building this and getting it ready uh, in time for this year's race and not having to wait a further year for it, massively, massively impressive. So, uh, yeah, fair play to them. And we've got a bit of everything in here. I didn't really fully set the picture, did I, when you asked about the paddock, because there's a, a wedding chapel and a little <laughs> casino in here as well. Um, it's kind of like a, looks like a very, very large greenhouse, like a nice one, don't get me wrong, but you know, sort of the way it's uh, just all glass and framework. Uh, and yeah, there's, uh, there's been a few weddings in there. Uh, that is so great. Hey, Chris, there's a great question on YouTube. Brian says, is Michael Andretti at Vegas? Hello to everyone. This is Gunter Steiner. This is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Thank you, Gunther Steiner, for bringing us back. And I do have to thank Gunther Steiner and the Haas team. I was starving last night. We were here at such a late hour. I didn't have enough food. And I snuck into the Haas hospitality and uh, grabbed a banana and a pastry. And it, it tidied me over <laughs> through the end of through the end of the evening. That was about the only way I was able to make it. But, but hey, Chris Medlin, I want to talk about what happened yesterday where we had Carlos Sainz had some pretty major damage to his car and with the, the suction from the car pulling a valve cover, like a manhole cover, off of the, the surface, out of the asphalt, and really damaging his car pretty severely, right? Yeah, it seemed like it had been slowly lifting up anyway uh, as the first few cars had run over. We only had, like, the most laps any car had done was four uh, at that point of FP1. Uh, and then, yeah, Science hits it right in the middle, ripped a hole in his floor, damaged the chassis, so they had to replace that. Uh, and then it also uh, damaged the power unit and components, which I know the guys are talking about the, the reasoning for the penalty. But uh, at the same time, then, the debris that that left, because this, this huge piece of metal that's just been uh, pulled out of the ground is then bouncing along down the down the strip 
Uh, it was Esteban Ocon that hit it. So a number of drivers were trying to take avoiding action, but it wasn't all that clear where this debris was going to end up. And yeah, Ocon suddenly made contact as well and had some pretty serious damage to his car. So that was a chassis change as well for Alpine. So yeah, it was a, it was a pretty serious moment. It does happen. Um, you know, we, we have seen it elsewhere and we've seen interruptions in FP1 sessions at established racetracks. We had it, didn't we, this year in Montreal, mm-hmm. uh, FP1 was cancelled with CCTV issues. We had to then run uh, FP2 longer. That's essentially what we did here. Uh, but it, it took some fixing uh, over a long period of time, which is with this schedule that we were talking about earlier is where part of the challenge lies because there's not a lot of time to try and fit these things in. Yeah, and Chris, I'm looking at one of those out straight out the booth window. In fact, there's a bunch of uh, fans doing a track walk, and they're all stopping and taking pictures of the uh, the the valve cover. And they look they appear to be about uh, eight to twelve inches around. And I can just imagine that thing rattling underneath Carlos Sainz's car and just doing wreaking havoc under there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge chunk. And not only that, as, as we we're saying, it's kind of getting sort of lifted so that the, the, the way that the car's working with the floor being so powerful in terms of generating downforce, but obviously normally we'd describe it as the car is being sucked to the ground uh, with ground effects. Well, obviously it's pulling against it in the same way. Uh, and normally the ground is what wins. But if you can actually dislodge something from the ground, then that's going to come up. And this, this big chunk of metal sticking up, but then, it's still against, it was, apparently it was the concrete surrounding the way they'd sealed it that failed. Uh, and then you've got it sort of already poking up when he hits it. But it is like, I don't know, I guess, imagine bottoming your road car out. But you're doing it when you hit mm-hmm. a curb head on and you're doing it at over 200 miles an hour. Painful, very painful. So, yeah, yeah actually, uh, there was quite a few comments. One was Daniel Ricciardo kind of saying it's just, uh, it's just good that no one was injured. Not only debris flying around, but Carlos himself or Esteban hitting that sort of thing because it did punch a hole into the the bottom of the car well let's hear from carlos Sainz himself because he talks all about this incident i'm okay thank you i had a pretty big hit on my back on my neck after the incident that you guys also uh um, unfortunately obviously the chassis the power unit battery, even my seat was damaged after the incident, which involved a huge effort from all the mechanics and the team to put together a completely brand new car for, for FP2 that allowed me to complete the session, which was, a, I think in my opinion, a heroic effort by the team and the mechanics, and I could take place in, um, in the session, and uh, yeah, we managed to, to do it, uh, recover that time, and, uh, and focus on it. It was an incredible team effort, wasn't it, to get you back out there. How did it feel when you got out there? It felt good. On top of that, you can clearly see this weekend we are relatively competitive, uh, as I think that the track layout is suiting us a bit more compared to the last few. And uh, we seem to be switching on well the tires over one lap and, and being competitive. So yeah, I was quite uh, excited and, uh, and optimistic. Unfortunately, as the session finished, the team communicated to me that I was taking a 10-place quick penalty for something that I have no fault and the team has no fault and obviously this has changed completely my 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 mindset and obviously my, my opinion on, on, on the weekend and how the weekend is going to go from, from now on. Obviously my, I'm disappointed and in disbelief I am with, with the situation and uh, yeah, you will not see me very happy this weekend. 
No, I can imagine so, understandably. Um, out there though, are there overtaking opportunities out there for you for that Saturday race? Um, yes, there will be opportunities, but as I said right now, I'm just too disappointed with the outcome and I don't want to talk too much about the, the future because what happened today for me is a very clear example of how this sport can be improved in so many ways. IA teams, rule, rules that, uh, that, that this could clearly be applied as force majeure to, to, for me not to get, take a penalty, but some way there's always people, always uh, ways to, to make the, the situation worse for for an individual, and I think in this case uh, it's my turn to pay to pay the price. I'm really sorry to hear it, Carlos, and hopefully it gets better for you this weekend. Chris, that did surprise me that they, you know, I, I guess they're just reading the letter of the rule book to the letter to give him that penalty. There was no way around that. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I see what he says when he's like, well, there's no fault of mine or the teams and, and we have to set this penalty. And it's like, yes, but if we if we describe it that simply as it wasn't his fault, well, then next time he's involved in the crash, if, if the other driver gets blamed for it uh, and takes a penalty... Does that mean that you don't penalize the driver with the damage and, and you say that they're paying for the damage to the other car too? And Does it become a proper insurance write-off across <laughs> two cars? It, there's, there's a lot more complexity to it. And it's the, the stewards were right, I think, because they actually wrote in their decision, if it was allowed in the regulations, given the scenario, we absolutely would accept what Ferrari are asking for, which is uh, basically for the regulations to be ignored in this case and an exception uh, applied but there is nothing that allows them to do that uh, that that applies to power unit penalties and similar and yeah it's kind of a, at which point would you then draw the line it creates a very complex situation of okay what's uh, an acceptable incident that's not a driver or team's fault that you can get away with penalty for and what's not because you could argue uh, and this is a strange one, but you could argue that obviously they have to design their cars to take some punishment. They have to design power units hmm. to withstand incidents and accidents and contact. Uh, you know, it, how robust do you make some of these parts? That is a consideration. Uh, you know, we don't have uh, items made out of chocolate because they'll fail. You know, you're, you're building hmm. them out of certain materials so that they'll withstand things. So it does create that kind of gray area, if not. Uh, and I think that's why they kind of had their hands tied, the stewards, so they had to go with that. But... All of that said, I think it's massively, massively unlucky and unfair um, on science. It's just there was no way out. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's just a shame also because Ferrari looks so fast this weekend so far. And, uh, you know, they're, they're in that, that constructor's battle, and uh, it, it's a shame for Ferrari. But, but let's also touch on how this affected the crowd here because – what this caused was a delay in uh, free practice. John, two. I'm going to do the thing I always do when it's Bob talking <laughs> and interrupt, but I've just uh, grabbed Jack Doohan just because well, I saw him walking around and he's looking resplendent in the new Alpine uh, Palace collaboration with Kappa. Um, there's a plug for the new kit, but it does look very cool. Uh, and Jack, obviously, you're here as a reserve driver, but how are you enjoying your first Vegas experience from an F1 point of view? F1 point of view, it's, uh, it's interesting, to say the least. Uh, it isn't typical with no support categories, freezing cold running at uh, opposite times of the day than we normally do. So it's definitely interesting, strange to say as well. Um, but I think uh, regardless of the trickiness of the circuit, uh, how hard the drivers might be finding it as well, I think it will uh, provide an interesting race, which in the end is what we're here for. 
it'll provide a good show. I think will will be very intriguing, which will hopefully is what's going to keep it going. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure qualifying is going to be very difficult. The Williams look super fast. Straight line speed is obviously super key here. But as well, having a car like they have that is naturally good with drag, but can also have a good package through sector one and sector two is just so important here. Well, from an Alpine perspective then, where do you think the team can sort of aim for, for qualifying? You know, we're, we're doing what's necessary to try and make sure that we don't fall into another Monza situation where we're struggling a lot. Um, the straights here are just so long. So trying to find a package that is going to be sustainable for the race, um, but trying to maintain that, like I said, with the tricky sector one and sector two, trying really just not to lose too much time there. So we know it's not going to be an easy one, um, but potentially with a little bit of luck and I think maximizing the circuit, uh, we can be in for a good result. And obviously, you're a reserve driver, so you're professional. You've been working hard, but any time fun in the casinos for you this week? No, I'm not 21, so I'm still 20 years old. So uh, maybe next year, maybe next year we can venture out for that. But no, at the moment as well, I have Abu Dhabi next weekend as my final round of Formula 2 plus my FP1. Um, so uh, when I can be training, you know, the gym's open from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and I only wake up like an hour before that due to the schedule. So it's a very fine line to, to get that in, but... Uh, yeah, just soaking in this experience. Um, you know, you never know how long a race like this is going to be around for. So uh, to be here and, and uh, in person and experience it is quite cool. Cool. Well, I'll let you go. I know you've got another commitment, but thanks for stopping the chat to us. Cheers. Hmm. Uh, Sorry about that. I know we were, we were on a totally different topic, but I uh, thought I'd grab him when I saw him. No, absolutely. Let's grab him when we can. It's funny. I was just going to say he's talking about the freezing temperatures. It's, it's nice, Chris. I can just uh, flip up my wrist and look at my Apple Watch, and it says 55 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's not as cold as, you know, uh, what, a week ago the sky was falling. It was going to be uh, a, a blizzard in Vegas. But I think tomorrow yeah. night, I think tomorrow night come race time, we might see a temperature approaching 50 degrees is kind of what I've seen the local weather forecasters predict. So uh, I don't think it's going to be quite as cold. But, um, but Chris, you know what, let's go ahead and when we come back after this, we'll go ahead and talk about what happened last night with the crowd and the way F1 dealt with that. And you're listening to Speed City F1 live from Las Vegas. And we'll be back after these messages. Okay, hey, Chris, we're still live on YouTube, Facebook. And on uh, YouTube, a gentleman was asking about Michael Andretti, if he was there. And have you seen Michael? I know he's supposed to be here. I was about to say, I have not. And I wasn't told that he was going to be here. Now, by that, I mean, I wasn't told he's not meant to be here, but I bumped into someone around the Andretti uh, team set up earlier yesterday, it would have been, uh, and was asking about the GM announcement uh, with the 2028 power unit entry. And around that, I was told there was going to be a few people from General Motors coming. Uh, last night, they were landing, uh, and they'd be here today and tomorrow. So I'm hoping to bump into a few of those. But being told that, normally, I would have expected to be told, and Michael will be here too. Now, maybe that was just a given uh, when they were saying that GM were going to have people on site. But uh, Michael was obviously in Austin, uh, but not for very long. Did like one day uh, and mm -hmm. then maybe a morning and then disappeared. So uh, he's, he's been tough to pin down. He, he, he seems to be doing some, you know, a few select media appearances, but not too many. And uh, I've yet to grab him. So uh, I haven't seen him here. But I will add, and people may notice that we've only had Jack so far live on the show, um, that because of that low light I was talking about in the paddock, it's hard to spot people. Yeah. You, you look, you, quite often you look into lights and you're frowning at a silhouette thinking, is that who I think it is? Yeah, I, I did the same thing. I was, uh, was kind of struggling and I, I was 
looked up and I was standing about six feet away from uh, James Hinchcliffe, basically staring him right in the face, didn't recognize who it was. So, yeah, it is hard to see over there. But, hey, going back to General Motors, that, that announcement was the fact that they are going to be a power unit supplier uh, starting in 28. That To me, that was uh, about as close to a, a bombshell announcement as, as, as you can imagine. So, all right, we're coming back to, uh, back to live on Sirius. Okay. Hi, this is Max Steppen, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Today's show is brought to you by VMware. Go faster, spend less, and be free. Make the most of multi-cloud with VMware. VMware, the smarter way to cloud. All right, Chris Medlin, I know you're out in the paddock, so if you spot someone, grab your mic and point it at them. But in the meantime, let's discuss what happened last night. As, uh, as we were talking about the delays that happened because of the valve cover that was, that was pulled off the circuit, the, uh, the, the FP2 was delayed, and actually the crowd was told they had to leave and they were not able to watch that live racing. Uh, the, I did not get to talk to any people in the crowd, but that had to be incredibly disappointing, and uh, it was a, a rough way to handle that, wasn't it? Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, it what I found. That uh, all hospitality was staying open. The fans be looked after. Food and beverage opportunities were going to be there uh, while they worked out what was going to happen next. And uh, you know, the delay was going to be some time to repair things, but they didn't know how long. And they were going to work on the schedule. So until there are updates, kind of go uh, go along as normal and try and enjoy yourselves. And we'll let you know when we're going to get FP two underway. Now, a lot of people as well, I think, that maybe were thinking they'd watch FP1 and then go back into, uh, into town to kind of you know, entertain themselves other ways, will probably have hung around because they thought, all right, I've not seen cars in FP1, so I'll wait, I'll wait and watch them in FP2. And the delay was indefinite. And then eventually it was communicated, probably about half past midnight, quarter to one, uh, that it was going to be a two o'clock start for an hour and a half session. Now, if you've sat it out till that long anyway, and it's not warm if you're just sat still outside, then you actually don't feel that far away. You know, just over an hour, the session's going to start, and, and you're going to see some cars on track, you know, however long you can stay awake for. And then, two minutes before 1.30, it was 1.28, an announcement was made that actually they were going to close all fan areas at 1.30, and that fans were going to have to leave the track because... Workers were going to run out of time to work. You know, uh, there were security issues because security were going to have to clock off. Uh, the bus drivers were going to be unable to work any longer to shuttle fans around and get them out of here. Uh, and obviously, people staffing things like the hospitality areas, but also just um, you know food and beverage options in the fan zones as well, uh, were just not going to be able to work any longer based on labour laws. Now, I think that's understandable that that happens and that that meant that they had to uh, essentially close the track to fans. But but the time in doing that. <laughs> exactly exactly when you've waited that long uh, just uh, that's what surprised me so much and then to give them such a such short notice so that was i think pretty poorly handled uh, and then off the back of that uh, we didn't actually get um, any explanation of what fans could do until today uh, a statement came out from the race organizers so it's from both rennie will the ceo of the las vegas grand prix and stefano domenicali formula one ceo and it essentially 
It, it never said sorry anywhere. Uh, and it never accepted blame or said that anything had been wrong from their point of view. It explained what had happened, which I think most people knew by then. Uh, but it also seemed to try and kind of point fingers a little bit elsewhere. It sort of said how the track is the FIA's uh, jurisdiction. But then there's all these other stakeholders that were doing the best job they could. Uh, and then kind of thanked those that were working here for the work they'd been doing. Uh, thanked different stakeholders again, but never thanked the fans or apologized to the fans. Uh, and, and also said that, and this term was used, was it happens. And they said, you know, <laughs> these things happen elsewhere, you know, big events, you know, weather happens and things. It says it happens. Now, in all of that, a lot of replies from unhappy fans was like, yes, it happens. And when it happens, normally you get an apology and you get a refund or you get some sort of compensation. Uh, later, then uh, Formula One said they were going to be issuing another statement. And that came out that any fans that had one day tickets, so were just here for yesterday's practice sessions, uh, would get some sort of reimbursement, but that reimbursement was a voucher to spend in the shop. It's two hundred dollars, so it's you know not to be sniffed at, uh, but there's a voucher to be sent spent in the uh, official Las Vegas uh, Grand Prix shop. Now, many people might not want that. They might not want to use that. They m basically bought a ticket to watch F1 cars on track and didn't get to. So I can see that they wouldn't be so happy. But also, it meant that anyone with three day tickets, anyone who's paid even more to be here for the whole weekend. Uh, and have missed out on a third of the action, get nothing. So, yeah, I don't think it's been brilliantly handled. I think fans have... They, some or many, I think, actually many general fans feel alienated by this race because of the way it's targeted at very uh, high-end packages and, and very expensive options. I mean, and I'm not criticising the race being targeted that way, but because it then uh, f it appears that it alienates mm -hmm. uh, more traditional fans, they feel that they were already left out and on the periphery then when they're treated like this, uh, they feel even more so. Uh, and I, I think that's just not been brilliantly handled at all. So it, the rest of the stuff, when they say it happens, it does happen. And it, and it snowballs sometimes and lots of little things went wrong uh, and added up to a really long late night where it was really sad that people didn't get to see cars, but almost unavoidable. Uh, the only other option really was that they, you cancel Epi Tour together and, and there would have been nothing to watch for anybody. So I, I kind of, I sympathize with the, the perfect storm that came together in that sense, but I just don't think the reaction uh, and the response right. from F1 and, and the race organizers was perfect. Uh, I completely agree with that. It does happen, and and in fact, I was I uh, was listening to Total Wolf on the uh, in the press conference last night, and he was quite angry at someone, uh, a, a journalist, saying, "Oh, this gives the sport a big black eye." And this was before the reaction, right? This was just after the incident of the of the valve cover-up and he was really uh, upset going hey this happens and you know we have a good grand prix and nobody will even remember it well now unfortunately because of the reaction i, I think that is going to leave a, a bit of a bad taste but i i don't want to focus on that for too long i agree that it was the reaction was not great but i, I yeah you know, i just want to jump in on that point though on on toto because uh, there's a bit of an an added edge to all of that where the question i think came from one of the writers for the athletic about the black eye uh, comment and that was kind of fair, and Toto was giving a fair response. Uh, yes. But a reporter from the Daily Mail that Mercedes do not have a good relationship with, uh, Lewis Hamilton and Toto will certainly don't have a good relationship with, uh, was uh, muttering under his breath, essentially, uh, saying that it was pathetic and that it was embarrassing. And cool. it was that that triggered Toto. So Toto's response was to that journalist, uh, and I think it became much more personal. So I feel like it was... There was another factor at play there, but also then, yeah, Wolf 
kind of he took a, a topic that was not a clear cut right or wrong one and, and opinions could vary uh, but actually uh, I feel like his wasn't the strongest one to be essentially saying you should all be positive about everything don't focus on the negative even though we just lost all of the practice running uh, and and he took yeah that that argument <laughs> uh, and threw it back at someone um, because of a, a bit of a personal issue between the two as well so uh, yeah not I don't think his finest moment and I think he let emotions get the better of him uh, and he admitted as much, I think, later in the press conference. But yeah, it, it shows emotions have run high between multiple people here. Uh, it, it's a big event and there's a lot of different opinions around it. But I think if we do move on to something slightly more positive, it doesn't take the place of anything else. You know, this is an ever-expanding calendar, but you're looking to hit different markets, different price points, uh, different visuals. Uh, and there's going to be nothing more iconic from this year than <laughs> the start of tomorrow's race when they're racing down the strip all 20 cars. Yeah, I have to agree with that. And, and you know, look, that all of that took place last night at, what, three in the morning, or maybe not quite that late at that point, but it was very, very late. And I say three in the morning, but, you know, everybody's coming from all over the world, jet lag. It, it is a very, it was, it's a very interesting environment here right now. So, uh, but look, let's do look forward because, like Toto said, I'll stick with that, in that, in that what they've done here to put this, to, to make this come off and to build this circuit, to build this building, to, to make all this happen, it was a monumental uh, undertaking. And it's amazing that we're sitting here and this has happened. So it, it's really, I mean, we have to say that it's just incredible. And, and, uh, and like you say, when the start of the Grand Prix comes tomorrow night, I, I think that it's just going to be something unforgettable, right? I mean, just unbelievable. Yeah, a bit like Jack doing hints that, that to be here, to say you're here, uh, it is a very cool thing as well. And, and there'll be a lot of learnings from this, but there's a lot of learnings from every first race. Uh, and Miami came in for some pretty strong criticism after the first attempt there. Year two was way better and got a lot more positive feedback because you can only learn from doing it. And, and even with the issue that happened yesterday with the track, a lot of people realized as well, there's nothing comparable to an F1 car or multiple F1 cars running over a circuit and running over drain covers like that or the water valve covers, the only way you find out really if they're going to hold up or not is by doing it. And once you do it, you find out, you then rectify it and make sure it doesn't happen again uh, because you then have the data and the, the ability to do so. So, uh, yeah, they've they've taken on a huge challenge and, as you say, pulled it off brilliantly so far to to have what we have. And if even if we just look at FP3 that we had earlier, um, I know it's clouded the competitive picture somewhat, which is great going into qualifying, but it was a smooth session Everything ran clean. The track is looking surprisingly good, actually, in terms of uh, the grip level increasing uh, and the, the times dropping. Uh, the track evolution has been massive, but because F1's the only racing going on this weekend, there's no support categories. Uh, I thought it was going to be slippery throughout and really, really difficult and dirty and dusty uh, right up until Sunday. But instead, it, it was looking in pretty <laughs> good nick. Yeah, it's true. All right, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to elevate the mood a little bit here because we have a clip from George Russell that was from last night. Like we were, we've been saying all along about the time zones and everybody's out of, out of sync. George Russell, uh, he, he has some good comments and also about the time sync. Let's hear from George. I mean, it was good to finally get going after quite a long day, uh, but it was it was really great to get out there. Obviously, a very fast circuit, um, highest top speeds of a year, probably. Um, 
and obviously racing at night is pretty spectacular. But I think it's going to be an interesting race weekend uh, session, sort of dominated by getting the tyres working and then by graining. And I think that's going to go into hinder everybody come Sunday. Okay, so how long did you take to actually get your eye in before you actually worked on the tyre the tire stuff? Was it quite quick to, to master it? Um, well, the thing is, the track's evolving every single lap. So the first laps you did, you were sort of driving around on ice, it feels. Um, no grip, you can visibly see the, the dirt and the dust. So every lap you do, you're learning, you're going faster, the track's going faster, uh, your braking points are changing. Um, yeah, it's, a long, it's, it's tricky when you go in 230 miles an hour into those braking zones picking your your breaking point um, with very little downforce on the car but it was good fun out there but ultimately all down the pace um, difficult to get a true representation because some people did two sets of new softs we only did one set uh, but I think it's going to be dominated by race pace and that will be dominated by getting the tyres into their happy place yeah I mean as we know the tyres at the best of times are tricky to get into their happy place uh, but this is a weekend that we've never experienced with, with the graining. We saw a bit of it last year uh, due to the nature of the tyre, but uh, with these cold temperatures, I think if you can keep the tyres working, it should be an easy one stop. But if you find yourself graining those tyres, you'll be doing two, three, four stops. So uh, we need to make sure we're not one of those. Okay, thanks very much. Did you, did you have a nap between the, 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 the while we were waiting for FP2? I actually had a nap before coming to the circuit. So I've, I think today I've had four naps today. I don't know what time it is, um, but definitely looking forward to getting some sleep. Okay. See you tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> I think that was the cinema of, of, of everybody here last night at, at whatever hour they, they ended up leaving. But, but, uh, but yeah, you know, Chris, uh, coming up right after this, I want to talk about the graining. I want to talk about the tire temperatures, how that's going to affect things, and how that can cause graining. You're listening to Speed City F1 live from Las Vegas, back after these messages. All right, we're still live on YouTube, Facebook, Chris. Let me see what's going on out there. Uh, Paul Bryan has a good point. He says this will become a textbook example of a study of a bungled PR response. Yeah, can't argue with that. Um, Andy P says, will the venue learn from this? Of course, why so many people rooting for this to fail? Now, this is a really good point. I'm, I'm going to reread this. I like this, Andy. He says, will the venue learn from this? Of course. But why so many people for rooting for this to fail was really disillusioning for me as a fan of the sport and a fan of what this could be. Thank you, Andy. I have said that exact thing. It's like, why were so many people rooting for this to fail? And Chris, is it is it because this is such an American? I mean, you know, I, I know that some of the European and, and UK fans of the sport, not everybody appreciates what America does you know, the way we do things. Do you think that's part of it? Uh, I, I've never seen it that way, but I guess maybe in, in when I give the answer I was going to give, some people might read into it that way. But I do think it was the brashness of, and this I don't think this was an American thing. I think this was just an F1 ownership thing or an F1, you know, promoter thing. But the brashness of telling everyone how great it was going to be for so long, that it was going to be the best thing ever, that it was going to be the biggest sporting event ever, bigger than the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. everything they were doing was was going to set a new standard and it, that almost comes across with like a bit of arrogance uh, and i do think maybe then maybe that was a there was a split between that and uh, certain fans that kind of are a little bit more humble about things and go into it being like well we'll see first time it won't be perfect you know we're going to learn a lot 
Yeah, we've got a lot to, to try and pull off. Oh, we're losing you, Chris. And there were interviews in the build-up, but I thought that was happening. Yep. Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. How does VMware help McLaren Racing accelerate innovation? The McLaren Formula One team relies on key apps to enhance vehicle aerodynamics, optimize car components, and make real-time data-driven racing decisions. By using VMware Anywhere Workspace, McLaren team members gain frictionless access to acts in other, other resources from anywhere in the world. VMware technology can even help McLaren racing teams stay connected to apps in remote spots around the globe, like those locations where the Neon McLaren Extreme E team races. Whether or not they're on an island or in a desert, team members can count on fast, reliable network connectivity using VMware SD-WAN technology. Across industries, organizations depend on VMware cross-cloud services to do business in an app-driven, multi-cloud world. With VMware, you can build, run, and access your apps of your choice on your cloud, and you can manage all those clouds as easily as one. VMware, the smarter way to cloud. Learn more at VMware.com. All right, Chris, I'm looking at my thermometer watch, and it still says it's 55 degrees, but that's pretty cold, and Formula One does not run a lot of races, and the tires don't like the, the temperatures that, that we're seeing right now. Uh, of course, it's not as cold as we had, had thought it might be, but I was listening to uh, Pietro Fittipaldi t- uh, during one of the uh, F1 broadcasts here earlier, and he was talking about the, the, the way these temperatures affect the tires. And what he was saying, basically, was that the temperatures make the tires stiff, the cold temperatures, right? Makes sense. And then because they're stiffer, they're a little more susceptible to this graining that we have been hearing a little bit about. And then the graining essentially pebbles off, just like it sounds, grains off the tire and can cause really rapid degradation of the tire. Uh, have you heard any other discussions about this, Chris? Oh, I think I got Chris. Oh, Chris is got his mic muted, so I don't know. He may be unavailable right now, but... I just thought that Pietro did a really good job of talking about this because, you know, it just makes sense, right? It's just thinking of basic physics that you've got a, a cold rubber tire that's not designed to be operated in those temperatures. And, and, uh, and, and Chris, I, I see your mic's lit back up. Do you, have you heard any more discussion about this, the cold tires and the graining that I was describing? I don't know if you heard that. Uh, I did hear all of that. Sorry, I was, uh, I was juggling a number of things, including getting off the Wi-Fi that was, uh, that was breaking, uh, breaking up our signal there. Um, but no, there's not been, I've not actually heard of any real concerns with that. That was expected. Uh, but as George Russell mentioned there in that interview, we've had it before at other venues. Uh, it does happen when it's yeah. particularly cold. The softer compound is a bit less susceptible to it if you, because you can heat it up more quickly. Um, but the, the fact is you can still go through it on all compounds. You can have that sort of issue. So uh, it's something that I think all the teams are prepared for, and they're just trying to set their cars up to avoid. Uh, but you can also go through a graining phase. So if you look after the tire, uh, when it grains, uh, as you just ex- described, 
uh, little balls of rubber then end up on, on the top of the surface and they're moving around uh, and they generate heat and overheat. Uh, and quite often then they re-stick to the tyre because the tyre is still hot. So you get an uneven surface. But once you clean the tyre up, as they say, you get it back into a working window and those bits fall off the surface of the tyre, then it, it gets back to a good usable state. So it's not that when graining happens, you automatically need to make a pit stop. You, you might choose to, but you don't have to because you might find that a few laps later, that graining disappears and the tyre kind of comes back to much more usable state. So uh, it's just a, I actually think it's quite a good challenge. Uh, I know it's not mm-hmm. what the tyres were designed for and drivers don't like it, but I do. I think it's a, I think it's a skill that you have to have. Uh, now, uh, one other thing I want to bring everyone, actually, another reason that I was uh, slightly uh, slow getting back on the mic to you is because uh, I've got a grid penalty for everyone that's just been dropped. Um, Lance Stroll has just had a five-place grid penalty handed to him. Uh, because he was investigated for overtaking under yellow flags in FP3. And when he went to see the stewards, he said he'd had his head down looking at his dash and had missed the flags, even though he'll get lights on his dash, uh, and had been concentrating on the Ferraris ahead of him and, and, and passing them safely uh, and hadn't been paying attention to what's around him. And the stewards basically are saying, well, your job is to pay attention. Those flags are there <laughs> to warn you of things. Uh, and when you're in the car... It's not a, oh, I didn't see it, so I can ignore it kind of response is never going to be acceptable. You have to be aware of where those uh, where those flags are going to be, what, when you might see them. You get lights on your dash as well. So, yeah, quite a hefty penalty for Stroll. Uh, Five-place grid penalty and also three penalty points on his uh, license. So Ooh, uh, yeah. that's another one that, that, in a sense, I was going to say might help Carlos Sainz, but the way we apply penalties now, um, you can't have a 10-place grid penalty and only drop nine. Uh, so he'll he'll be going back to 10 regardless. But yeah, that could be a couple of cars that are fairly quick that are out of position. Yeah, and honestly, I, I just hate that response from Lance Stroll saying, uh, I wasn't paying attention. I mean, that, that's... <laughs> that's your number one job as a as a race car driver is to be you know have your attention completely focused and i know that it's free practice three but uh, i i don't know it just seems kind of typical of of lance lately he just has not 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 been uh not been really i've not been happy with him i'll just put it that way uh we've just got about about a minute and a half left in the show chris um one thing i did want to talk about that the cool temperatures that absolutely will affect today and tomorrow as well are these long, long straightaways and the brakes cooling down. I've, I've heard uh, a couple of different discussions about that. So that's something else to watch out for. But, uh, but Chris, any final yeah, thoughts? Before... I was gonna just... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to jump in actually with that because, yeah, that will be maybe an issue during the race when they're not pushing quite as hard as well uh, and, and they can't have yeah. cool down laps and uh, laps where you heat the brakes during them. But, uh, my big takeaway is we didn't see the competitive picture in practice, and I still think Ferrari are, are the team to beat here. Uh, I still think Charles Leclerc is a favorite for pole, and I'm intrigued to see if Max Verstappen is his nearest rival or if Red Bull are in a yeah. bit of trouble here because this doesn't suit them. So uh, right, Chris, I think we're in for a thrilling qualifying session when this gets underway. I think so, too. I'm really excited about it. So stay tuned on SiriusXM for qualifying, and we will talk to you tomorrow night. Thanks for tuning in to Speed City F1. Talk to you tomorrow.